there's something called the protein leverage hypothesis, where we're, instead of looking for just any kind of energy, we're looking, eating specifically for amino acids, which are the breakdown products of protein. And when we get enough, we stop eating, we feel full. But if we don't, if we're always eating fat or carbohydrates, we might never reach that protein threshold. And it just requires us to keep consuming more and more calories. I mean, the benefits of simple protein, uh, increasing protein are, are absolutely dramatic. I bet you guys didn't know that food labeled as, quote, made in America only has to be 51% made in America. And if that chicken, for example, was born and hatched in the USA, farmers can ship them to other countries for processing. Then they are shipped back and sold in the United States and labeled as hatched in America without needing to disclose where it was processed. That is disturbing to me. Today, I am debunking common myths and shedding light in the meat industry with Autumn Smith, who is the co-founder of Paleo Valley and Wild Pastures. She also shares her own personal story on how she was suffering with gut and skin issues, anxiety, and mental health problems from the age of 11 all the way into her 20s and saw a quick turnaround in her health after just one month of implementing a protein-forward diet. We also talk about how Americans were tricked into believing that meat is bad for us and who is behind and influences the food pyramid, why we are so nutrient deficient despite the fact many of us eat a well-rounded whole foods diet and ways to get around that, plus the differences between synthetic vitamins and how 90% of vitamin C on the market is actually derived from GMO corn. You guys... That's just the tip of the iceberg, and I cannot wait for you guys to listen to this episode. You're listening to the Digest This Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany Cameron. Let's get right into it. All right, guys, by now we all are aware that gut health is crucial and affects every area of our lives. I mean, at least I hope we all know this, right? Many people think that if you have poor gut health, it can cause digestive issues like constipation, gas, bloating, and even loose bowels. But gut health goes way beyond just our gut. Poor gut health has even been linked to poor immunity, depression, anxiety, brain fog, low energy, skin issues, including acne, and studies are now coming out that our gut microbiome is linked to obesity and type 2 diabetes. And in the world we live in today, so many factors and environmental toxins can hinder our gut and are constantly trying to break down our microbiome. Now, it's not practical we go off grid and live away from society to avoid all these things, so it's important to combat them with a good probiotic and prebiotic to give our gut support and skin in the game to fight off infections and help us live our best life full of vitality, energy, clear skin, and regularity. But not all probiotics are created equal. In fact, many don't even make it to the grocery store alive. So you just wasted your hard-earned money on something that's basically dead. That's why I personally trust and take Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic Capsule. This is a prebiotic and probiotic in one. 
If you've ever seen me in my Instagram stories showing you what Seeds capsule actually looks like, it's pretty cool. That's because it's a capsule within a capsule. So if you open up the first capsule, there's actually another capsule inside. Seeds Daily Symbiotic is a probiotic and prebiotic to support gut health that's completely revolutionized the daily supplement world. Designed to make its way all the way through your stomach and survive your stomach acid with studies even showing its 100% survivability rate. And I'm pretty sure we all know what probiotics are. They're the good bacteria we need inside our gut. But without prebiotics, the probiotics will die. You see, probiotics are also living organisms and they need food too. That's where prebiotics come in. They help feed the probiotics, helping them to survive in our body, which is what we want, right? Sources of prebiotics include garlic, onions, leeks, asparagus, artichokes, oats, grains, and legumes. But for many people with digestive issues, all these foods are off limits because they can cause other issues. And if you follow a grain-free or paleo diet, then oats, legumes, beans, and other prebiotic-containing grains are off limits too. So to make sure you are getting the full benefit of taking probiotics as well as getting what you paid for, Seeds Daily Symbiotic is what I would recommend to all my friends and family. Just go to seed.com slash digest and use code 25digest to get 25% off your first order. Again, that's seed.com slash digest and use code 25digest to get 25% off and make sure it's all lowercase. Thank you so much, Autumn, for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. I really, really love your mission and your content, and I'm just grateful that our paths have crossed. Yeah. So I really like to start my podcast just like we were in the middle of a conversation, right? Because I know people's times are valuable. First of all, I really want people to know, though, why did you become so passionate about health and what's your story? Because you have quite a story that your your health just got turned around in about a month, right? For the better. Yeah, it was insane because when I was 10 or 11, I started having digestive issues that no doctor in my area knew how to treat. They said I have irritable bowel syndrome, which essentially is a wastebasket diagnosis, meaning we've ruled out more serious pathology. And so we don't really know what's going on. So take some Beano. Uh, which I did, and it didn't help. And um, then I, as I got into my teens, I started to have these mental health issues and anxiety and depression. And I was just really struggling physically and emotionally. And we went to psychiatrists and they gave me antidepressants and um, nothing really helped. They kind of made me feel numb. But other than that, you know, it, it wasn't a resolution. And so then I got into substances and thought, well, if I there's no one that can help me. I'm just going to numb, numb out. Uh, and I did that for a very long time and I still managed, right? I just wasn't thriving. I was barely getting through every day. And I did this until I met my husband. I was even working as a celebrity fitness trainer, looking the part, right? I looked fit, very fit, but not, it's not well. I'd come home, I would cry, I'd have anxiety, my skin's breaking out, I looked pregnant at night. My husband, when he finally moved in with me, uh, right before we got married, he said, what is happening? 
on the outside, it looks good. And when you get close, it's a big old mess. And so he decided we were going to try and do it again. You know, even though no doctors could help me in the past, we went to some new ones in Los Angeles. They had the same answers. And so he got on the internet, found that some people were resolving digestive issues with diet, which back in 2007 was kind of a novel idea. And I thought, this guy's crazy. Um, if doctors didn't know about it, it wouldn't help. But in 30 days, we cut out processed foods and my digestive issues that were problematic for over a decade, they went away. And then over the course of the next year, my mental health changed so dramatically. I was like, wow, um, I have to quit my job with Tracy Anderson, even though it was, you know, I literally did a world tour with Jennifer Lopez and it was like a really amazing job. But I said, I am now well. I was fit, but I wasn't well. And now I need to figure out why this was such a powerful transformation for me. So I went back to school. I'm still in school. I'm just about to finish my doctorate. And we created companies because I'm a person who, un unlike you, not great in the kitchen. So I needed the tools for people who wanted to be on the go. And uh, I couldn't find them when I was on tour. I could not find what I needed to maintain the level of health I had achieved. And it was kind of devastating to me. And I wanted anyone and everyone, no matter how much you made, no matter what you wanted to do with your life, um, to be able to have those tools. And so that's how we got here. Wow. How long were you suffering before you started to see a change? I'd say um, I, around 11 is probably when my stomach issues started to change. And I met my husband at 24 and we probably really got serious about it at about 26. So 15 years. Wow. From 11 years old. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. And Crazy. I mean, you look amazing now. Do you mind me asking how old you are? 41. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, I mean, not no, really. no, you yeah, are no, not. You Well, not you enough. look amazing. And uh, your story is just, I mean, super inspiring because, I mean, within a month to see changes, I mean, I who believe. does that? Yeah, with, with no conventional medicine and just with a diet and things like that. And so... Uh, your IBS went away, your skin cleared up. Yes. And what do you think was the major thing? Because like, what was your diet like? Were you eating junk food? Okay, you were. Well, here's the thing. I was a ballerina when, as a young girl from the age of four, and I got advice from, I worked with the principal of the Bolshoi and just other various teachers. And it was kind of like, eat very few calories it's about calories. You just can't mm -hmm. eat too much. And so from a very young age, I realized, okay, it's just about monitoring quantity. And then I thought, but I'm also, I really like sweet stuff. So how about I just allocate my calories if it's just energy to candy and, mm -hmm. um, you know, sugar-free stuff and a lot of gluten and cheese, which is what I really, really was drawn to. And so, yeah, my diet was pretty awful. Even as a fitness trainer, a lot of these bars, these food bars, uh, soy-based food bars and things like that, um, just with like, you know, a gazillion ingredients. And so, no, I didn't realize that food was more than just energy and that it mattered. And so it was a very dramatic change, which is probably why it was so impactful. Right. Yeah. And that's such a shame too, because uh, for ballerinas or anyone, maybe even in the fitness industry, dancers, et cetera, a lot of their job is how they look on the outside. And so unfortunately, still I see fitness trainers and gym gurus, they, they don't really care. They just want to focus on the calories mm. and they really don't know what's being put into their body. And I think a lot of people, especially in the bodybuilding industry, 
they suffer quietly. Absolutely. Because, and even beyond just calories, it's just macros. We have this hyper focus on these like four nutrients where there's thousands of nutrients in a food, right? Thousands. And processing affects foods in in many different ways. And so, yeah, diet is extremely powerful. And just counting calories did not work for me. And I do think it can be very, very, very detrimental if you're not getting the nutrients that literally build your brain, build your physical body, and, 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 and mm. other ingredients that might be in addition to that, creating inflammation and gut mm. dysbiosis and all of that. Right. And so were you eating meat at the time or were you just eating, like what was the meat aspect part of your diet prior to getting well? It was very little, very little. I was someone who was not drawn to it. I thought, oh, I just, I just don't really need that. And so I ate a lot of bread and cheese. I was probably largely vegetarian, even though I hadn't really declared that. It was just, I didn't eat protein much. And I think that's another thing I want all ladies and other people to know is, you know, protein is the basis of our neurotransmitters and our physical body and our hormones and our antibodies and our proteins. I mean, protein and its impact on our body, I think is maybe the most important in terms of the macronutrients that we could focus on. And so for me not to be getting that, I was on a blood sugar roller coaster. My brain wasn't working as optimally and I wasn't rebuilding muscle the way that I might otherwise have been able to do. And so, yeah, just inadequate protein, I think was a big piece mm -hmm. of my story. Well, can you explain what protein can do for someone, especially for women? I know you touched on it, but just elaborate here. Yeah, this is what, if I could just have people try one thing, it was just don't count calories, aim for 100 grams of protein a day. Now, a more nuanced approach is like one gram per pound of ideal body weight. But in terms of the protein, what it can do for us is A, it's obviously the basis of our neurotransmitters, right? So it's going to impact your brain function. B, it's going to keep your blood sugar stable. So if you're eating carbs all day long without adequate protein alongside of it, your energy and your mood is gonna go up and down. And that's why I had all of these crashes. Aside from that, protein also is very satiating. So there's something called the protein leverage hypothesis where we're, instead of looking for just any kind of energy, we're looking, eating specifically for amino acids, which are the breakdown products of protein. And when we get enough, we stop eating, we feel full. But if we don't, if we're always eating fat or carbohydrates, we might never reach that protein threshold. And it just requires us to keep consuming more and more calories. And so you see in, in trials, if you eat or you increase the percentage of protein in your diet, you'll have fewer cravings. You will be able to eat fewer calories. You'll burn more energy, even when you're sleeping. I mean, the benefits of simple protein, uh, increasing protein are, are absolutely dramatic. There's also really cool for anyone who is a parent like me, meat specifically like egg supplementation and meat has been shown to improve cognitive development in our children and to reduce stunting. It's also going to help us maintain muscle mass, right? Muscle is the organ of longevity. And as long as we're aging, we're really going to want to hold on to that. But if we're not, we're under eating protein, we're not going to be able to do that. And that's not only going to impact our body composition, but also our ability to recover from illness and just have a really, really high quality of life as we age. So protein, I just can't be more emphatic about it. I think if I had known that, I wouldn't have had to suffer like I did. Yeah, yeah. And then the it helps you regulate psych, your cycles. And I've even heard, you know, cholesterol actually helps with your hormone. Like you need 
the cholesterol for your hormone production, which yes. I feel like is a total misconception of what we've been told. People are kind of waking up to the idea. I think it was 2015, cholesterol was essentially vindicated, right? It was even the dietary guidelines came out and said that cholesterol is no longer a nutrient of concern. And even Ansel Keys, way back in the day, like 1950s and 60s, his research, he could not get cholesterol, dietary cholesterol, to impact uh, serum cholesterol or the cholesterol levels in your blood. So this has kind of been an idea that is not well supported. And yes, cholesterol is important for your brain, for our immune system. It's the backbone of our hormones. Um, it helps regulate our cycle. So yeah, I mean, to fear animal products, I, I, I think is one of the major uh, misunderstandings of the way that we're eating today. Yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, where did the idea come from initially that meat is bad for us? Oh, this is so fascinating because I'm doing this docuseries called Rethink Meat. And so I've really had to dive into the research. But if we think about it, we've been eating meat for over 3 million years. And when we went from eating even just, you know, scavenging to eating the whole animal, we had the most massive brain growth we've ever had. And at a time when heart disease rates, you know, were taking off, we actually were eating less meat than we were. So th it doesn't even make sense historically. But one of the fascinating origins, have you heard of Dr. Gary and Belinda Fetke? No. This is a great story. So Dr. Fetke, he's an orthopedic surgeon down in Tasmania, and he was operating and doing amputations on his diabetic patients. And he himself went through a health transformation and noted, okay, this low-carb diet was helping me. I'm going to tell my diabetic patients not to eat sugar. So he did. And the dietitian on staff at his hospital turned him into the medical board. And he became the first doctor ever silenced from talking about nutrition. So he suffered four years of litigation where he had to defend his statement that diabetics might benefit from less sugar. And while his wife watched these proceedings for years and watched him presenting very reputable, credible science that demonstrated the improvement that could be made. And, and, and you know, mind you, today, even the American Diabetic Association suggests a low-carb diet does have benefit. But what she found out was it's not about a lack of science. It's not about a lack of evidence. There was religious undertones. And so the Seventh-day Adventist church, there was a woman named Ellen G. White, and she was the prophetess. And she believes that a clean Garden of Eden diet involves very little, if any, meat. And one of her students, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, they together believe that meat created masturbation and lustful desires in kids. And so he went about creating the first meat alternatives and also flaked corn and flaked wheat. So cornflakes came out of a desire to provide alternatives that would prevent children from these lustful desires. And you might not think that the Seventh Adventist, uh, Seventh Day Adventist Church is very influential, but it is. They're in our dietary guidelines. Members of that, um, they are, you know, hundreds of hospitals throughout the country. One of their uh, members actually founded the American Dietetic Association. Her name was Lena Cooper. And so religion is one element there. And another one is entrepreneurship. So William Proctor and James Gamble. Uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, they had this surplus of cottonseed oil because candle sales were diminishing as electricity was becoming a thing. And they were very smart businessmen. And they said, well, this is essentially a waste product, but what can we do with it if we're not making candles and soap? And so they decided to hydrogenate it, which just means taking a liquid fat into a solid form. And when they did that, they realized, oh, this looks a lot like lard. 
And so what if we sold this to the American public as a cleaner and healthier alternative uh, with no, you know, no substantiation whatsoever on these health benefits, actually. Um, and they did that. They created, they launched a massive marketing campaign, put out cookbooks with, you know, all these recipes using Crisco. And they literally convinced the American public that this would be done in the name of their health. They even um, donated money to the American Heart Association. And we now know at the time that it was created, Crisco was 50% trans fat, which we know now creates hundreds of thousands of deaths um, due to its ability to create heart disease. So there's that. There's also Ansel Keys, and he had his hypothesis that the more fat you eat, the higher your risk for heart disease. And obviously, animal products are really high in fat. Now, that research was not as airtight as people would like to have thought. And in fact, when you adjust it for things like protein from animal fat and uh, or protein from animal products and fat, there was other statisticians that came in and looked at his data and found the opposite, right? That animal products were actually protective. But he was a very charismatic man and um, had a lot of weight and a lot of pull. And so this idea kind of in the 50s and 60s just took off without really there being a healthy body of evidence to substantiate it whatsoever. And then we had the sugar industry. And we just, there was documents that came out a few years ago that showed that um, there was a, in a sugar industry executive, his name was John Hickson, and he paid for this review kind of exonerating sugar in its role in heart disease and blaming it instead on saturated fat, which would then kind of align the public narrative with what Ansel Keys was saying too. And so then we have, you know, books like The Jungle, which is a fictional novel about, you know, the horrendous conditions in meatpacking industries. And so there's a lot that we have animal rights activists, right? We have environmental activists and the fact that most people think all animal products are destroying the environment, which is not at all accurate. And it just kind of converged, right, in this 20th century narrative. And now we just hear all the time that animal products are destructive, whereas that doesn't even make sense, right? It can't no. be. It can't be the primary driver of our disease epidemic. I mean, animals have been here since the beginning of time. And all of a sudden, now they're destroying the planet, you know? And yeah, they require nutrients that we can't get. I mean, they have nutrients we can't even get anywhere else. So when you say the Seventh Day Adventists, they are very influential. And I know that they are a huge, the, the Loma Linda University, which is huge. It's right here in California. And they have great medical doctors and hospitals. And uh, this is just a kind of a fun story. I used to work for a fake meat company. This was back in the day. Yeah, I know. Uh, wow. This was like before I got really sick. This was like maybe in my like I was 21, 22, something like that. I worked for them for four years, was the head of marketing. It wow. was, you know, desk job, all that stuff. Anyways, so the fake meat that we were, we were the manufacturers. So we sold to Loma Linda, the Seventh-day Adventist, and it was soy-based meats and mm -hmm. all these different things. And they were probably one of our largest accounts. And yeah, yeah. and it, it was crazy. And they just... Can, they bought so much of these fake meat products. And that that's just something I look back on all the time. But it's so interesting too, when they said that meat makes you, I guess, more, what's the word? It, it uh, hypes your libido, right? It, and, and I think it does. I mean, for sure. So I was going to say, and that's a biologically appropriate thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
and something we yeah most of us could use you know with reproductive issues on the rise today i i see that too with sperm count and so many different things um again so meat i can't you know i can't be say enough about it um but what what would you say as far as like the nutritional aspect of it because there are a lot of people that are saying well meat is meat and grass-fed versus just conventional meat is the same and why why switch to more expensive grass-fed meat because protein is protein etc so can you kind of debunk that of why grass-fed meat is so much more healthier for you um, and the nutrition aspect of it yeah well, I'm doing my dissertation on the topic with Dr. Van Vliet at Utah State University and the Bionutrient Food Association. So I'll tell you about that in a second. But what we've seen, there was a trial that I always like to talk about, and it was in kangaroo versus conventionally raised meat in a feedlot. So a grass-fed kangaroo versus a grain-fed cow. And what they did was they fed participants and then looked at their levels of inflammation after the meal. And what they found was the grass-fed version had lower levels of inflammation. Now, Dr. Van Vliet, obviously, that's a confounded experiment because one's a kangaroo and one's a cow. But what he's doing is he's looking at grass-fed meat and grain-fed meat and even plant-based meat in participants now and looking at the signature in the bloodstream, what's happening afterwards. And um, hopefully that will be published soon. But there is preliminary data to suggest that yes, inflammation levels might be impacted. There's also research to suggest McAfee in 2011 did a trial showing that the percentage or the amount of omega-3s in your bloodstream increases significantly with grass-fed red meat when compared to grain-fed red meat. And we know most of us are under-consuming omega-3 fatty acids, and they're very powerful modulators of inflammation. So some people will argue, well, it's not a huge amount of omega-3s that you'll find in beef, but it seems like even that small amount, it's not always about the amount, it's about how your body uses that amount, and it seems to be a big difference. Research has also shown, right, consistently, just in beef, for example, when you compare grass-fed to grain-fed, you're going to have higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, higher levels of a cancer and uh, potentially heart disease protective nutrient called conjugated linoleic acid. Depending on the soil, you might have higher levels of minerals and higher levels of vitamins. You're going to have higher levels of antioxidant like glutathione. And grain-fed meat will have higher levels of monounsaturated fats, but often grass-fed meat will have higher levels of the saturated fatty acids that don't negatively impact your cholesterol levels. It's stearic acid, for example, which is cholesterol neutral. That's why this whole thing about, oh, all saturated fats are dangerous. Well, no, it's a very diverse group of fats we're talking about, and they, they have different effects. There's even longer chain saturated fatty acids um, that seem to be protective of cardiovascular disease. And so, and even in the animals themselves, there's levels of, you know, reduced glucose and better mitochondrial function in the animals. And so Dr. Van Vliet, what he's doing is looking at metabolomics research. Now, this is important because it's not, we're not looking at vitamin A, vitamin E, and a handful of antioxidants. We're comparing thousands of nutrients and the signatures change dramatically depending on if an animal's fed grain for the last say 90 days of their life or grass or even grass from very diverse pastures. There seems to be changes and we're still 
in the process of publishing that research, but we've have data from over a hundred different farms with very different production practices. And what you can say preliminarily is there are associations definitely in the omega-3 fatty acid profile and omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid profile. So there's beef, also pork. Pork, conventionally raised pork is a very, has a very inflammatory omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid ratio, something like 35 to one, whereas we wanna be closer to one to one or around a four to one historically. And uh, when we don't, when we have too many omega-6s, not enough omega-3s, it can, can promote inflammation within the body. Uh, and so just feeding pigs grass can significantly reduce that ratio down to something like a five to one or a 10 to one. So that's a really big change. And then with chicken, um, chicken have higher levels of protein, right? Lower levels of, or higher levels of certain nutrients, uh, vitamin D, for example. And then eggs and dairy are very, very, very prone to changes in their nutrient composition based on what they're consuming. So you're gonna get higher levels of the omega-3 fatty acids, lower levels of omega-6 fatty acids, and then just higher levels of um, antioxidants like vitamin A and vitamin E consistently. But what we're, we're finding is the way that they're raised, are they on diverse pastures? Are they just on grass pastures? Are they fed grain? Are they living in feedlots? Are they healthy themselves? Like these things do matter, I think more than we were able to measure historically, but hopefully Van Vliet's research, he's got three phases of his project. Um, we'll shed a lot of light on that in the future too. Research actually shows the average cleaning product contains chemicals that are in fact affecting our lungs. Hazardous chemicals can be found in bleach-based products, disinfectants, degreasers containing several other chemicals commonly referred to as EGBE. It's a common ingredient in liquid soaps and cosmetics even, hairsprays, paint, glue, as well as industrial and household cleaning products. EGBE is listed as possibly toxic to the eyes and skin, central nervous system, respiratory system, kidneys, and liver. The Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry states it also affects development and reproduction. That's just another reason why I use Branch Basics for my cleaning needs. You just mix their non-toxic concentrate with water in a glass spray bottle and you're good to go and clean your entire home. Everything from your kitchen to your bathroom to your living room and even your kids' toys. Branch Basics is also safe and gentle for your pets and I've even personally used it to wash my fruits, veggies, and delicate berries. It's 100% biodegradable, fragrance-free, and contains no harmful substances, obviously. Their concentrate is derived from plants and minerals, and the best part is that you only have to buy one product, which is their do-it-all concentrate. And their concentrate literally lasts for Ever. I probably use it a little bit too much, but it, it does last a very, very long time. That's all you need. So if you want to clean up your home and your health by using Branch Basics, they're offering my listeners 15% off. Just use code LITTLESIPPER at checkout to receive a discount. 
I recommend starting with their starter kit, which includes everything you'll need with simple instructions. Again, you can go to branchbasics.com and enter code LITTLESIPPER at checkout. That's L-I-L-S-I-P-P-E-R for a discount. One in three adults don't consume enough protein. And if you want to build muscle, lose fat, keep your immune system strong, and have all-day energy, then you should be eating at least one gram of protein per pound of body weight. So if you weigh 140 pounds, that means you need 140 grams of protein every single day. For reference, one egg has just six grams of protein, so you need at least 24 eggs per day to get 140 grams of protein. And if you're a senior, you need up to 50% more than that. That's because as we age, our bodies require more protein to preserve muscle mass, keep us healthy, reduce recovery time from illness, and improve overall quality of life. Clearly, getting enough protein is incredibly important, but how in the world do you hit your target protein count without spending a fortune, endless hours in the kitchen, or eating 24 eggs a day? Getting enough protein might seem impossible, but it's actually easy when you add Prime Protein's doctor-formulated, incredibly easy-to-digest and affordable beef isolate protein powder to your diet. Just one scoop has 20 grams of protein. And I personally take their unflavored version, which contains just one single ingredient. No stevia, no flavorings, or anything else added. Plus, Equip Foods Prime Protein is incredibly affordable to help you hit your complete protein needs for less than $2 a day. Tell me the last time you bought grass-fed steak for $2. (laughs) Probably never. Equip Foods prioritizes working with regenerative farms who let their cows graze outside and sources the highest quality grass-fed beef protein they can find. And while they trust their partners completely, they still do independent routine quality and contaminant testing to make sure their protein is free of harmful amounts of heavy metals and toxins like glyphosate. The way prime protein is processed is the same way that bone broth is made, using low and slow heating to preserve the nutrition without any chemicals. The end result is the purest beef protein powder you'll ever find. And each scoop has the same nutrient profile as a four ounce steak. So if you're following a carnivore, keto, or paleo diet, and you're looking for something to add to your smoothies, shakes, dips, soups, and baking, then you'll love Prime Protein. It's easy on the gut and contains all nine essential amino acids plus additional amino acids. There's over 2,000 five-star reviews, and I'm just one of them. But the best part is that it comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't love it after 30 days, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. And you guys know I have a discount for you. So if you go to equipfoods.com slash digest and use code digest, you'll get 20% off. Again, go to equipfoods.com slash digest and use code digest. That's equipfoods.com slash digest and use code digest to get a whopping 20% off.
Yeah, well, I can't wait for that. And uh, exactly what you're saying too, I mean, not to mention uh, the antibiotics that you're not eating, just when you consume conventional, you know, we're not even talking about the nutrients, you're just cutting the antibiotics out from conventional meat is huge. Yes, and there's other things that are used. Ractopamine, for example, which is used in pigs. Uh, they found one in five samples had ractopamine residues. It's used in a lot of pigs today. It's banned in 160 countries. So we don't know exactly. There's not a lot of research done around the deleterious effects of hormones and other additives, but, but that doesn't mean that there aren't any. Right, and what the animal eats truly does affect the quality of meat as far as like even eggs, for example. Have you heard of this? I was just looking this up, that chickens, they have certain certain chickens, they put um, chemicals in their feed to make the yolk darker. Have mm-hmm. you heard of this? I and Because, you know, farmers, they're getting, they know now the consumer is getting more wise and they're looking for darker yolks because t- originally that meant, oh, that's a really healthy egg, it's a healthy chicken, but now they're manipulating the feed that the chickens are eating to make their yolk darker, even though they're not, you know, free range and they're still in cages and all these, all this stuff. Isn't that sad? Rather than saying, okay, let's take a step back and actually address why we're seeing this change in the nutrient profile. And yeah, chicken production is one of kind of the worst in terms of greenwashing, because you'll even see free range and cage free and you'll think, oh, this is better. But it isn't always. It just depends on the producer. They might just still be in a warehouse with thousands of chickens and um, crammed into these places and have access just a tiny door in the back that they might not ever know exists and that doesn't even go to a pasture. So yeah, you just have to be really careful because people, consumers drive the market and the more educated we are about those practices and the more that we don't accept them, uh, the more things are going to change. But if they can get away with stuff like that, of For course sure. they will. Well, let's, ha- let's help the consumer be a little bit more smarter. And what are some tricky labels that consumers should be aware of when it comes to animal products in particular? I love this question. So natural is the first one. I've read that 50% of people look for the, the label natural, and it doesn't mean anything, especially in animal products, right? It means there weren't any artificial additives put in it afterwards, but of course there weren't. It doesn't tell you what the cow was eating, whether they were in a feedlot, if they had a good life, or anything about the nutritional value of their product. So natural is one that you just absolutely have to be very careful of. Free range and cage free, right? Those are another one that I just described, right? You need, you want to look for pasture raised, okay? Because cage free, um, again, thousands of animals crammed into a warehouse. They're not in cages, but does that that doesn't necessarily mean they had a good quality of life or talk about anything about what they're eating. And then again, free range. They just have to have access to a door. They don't even need to go out there. And it doesn't even need to be to a range or a pasture. It could be a dirt plot or cement. So that's another one. Hormones, like no added hormones. So you'll often see an asterisk behind this because it's been illegal to use it in pork and um, chicken for a very long time. But still, again, putting that on the label kind of allows you to ignore the more important questions what did the life look like? What was this animal consuming? Another one that's kind of tricky is grass-fed. So back in 2016, the regulation around grass-fed kind of ended. And so all cows are grass-fed for the first two-thirds of their lives. That's just how it goes. And it, it just determines what matters is what they're doing for the last 120, 90 days. Um, but that's not regulated. So they can put grass-fed and 
they can be grain finished, right? And again, they don't necessarily have to regulate antibiotics or hormones, and it really depends on the producer. Not all grass-fed will be using those things, but they could be. And the last one that I think is the most egregious is made in America. So you can import meat and from another country and process it here and then label it as a process of America or a product of America. I just found out this morning too that some companies who shall remain nameless <laughs> will take 50%, 50.1% from America and 49.9% imported beef. Combine it and again, make that a product of America. Now, what that does is undermines our local food supply, which we found out during COVID is a very dangerous thing. If we are importing from other countries all the time because they have higher standards, no one is going to change in America. And we're going to lose out on the ability to have food security and food sovereignty, but also um, just to ensure that our land is being taken care of and regenerated in the way that a healthy, regenerative, you know, holistically managed operation um, can be and can and can do for the environment. Yeah, well, you brought up a, a few points here. So I want to touch on the whole made in America thing, because I did, I did a bite of knowledge podcast on this maybe like eight or nine months ago. And I, I looked into this and it's crazy because sometimes companies can even have, let's just say a chicken, for example, hatched hatched in America. So the chicken was literally born in America. They ship it to another country. Oh have them process it and do all the mechanical stuff, ship it back to America and sell it. So you would think, well, isn't that super expensive to have it go ship there and then ship back? But the labor costs, let's just say I, I did this for, for China, for example, it was like $2 an hour in China and the labor cost here was like $17. So companies are literally saving millions of dollars just because of the labor costs and the processing. So they're like, well, we can say it's hatched here. They ship it to another country, ship it back. Who knows what they're doing in the processing part of it. And then just the shipping, like the temperature change and all that kind of stuff. You have no clue. It's so tricky. And something else you brought up, grass fed and grass finished. That's completely mm -hmm. different. Can you really elaborate on that? Yeah. So all like you said, all cows are grass fed for the first two thirds of their lives. And then they are often sent to a feedlot where they're given a total mixed ration, usually corn and soy. Maybe they're fed some antibiotics and hormones, whatever, to kind of fatten them up for that last phase of their life. Now that, as we've been talking about, it can dramatically affect the nutrient composition of the final product, right? So fewer omega-3 fatty acids, you know, potentially more residues and uh, less antioxidants, all the things. Grass finished is where instead of being sent to a feedlot, animals go also to a pasture. And some of these people are using holistic management and rotating them and making sure they have very diverse pastures and fresh pastures. And they're working in legumes and they're just like, they're, they're approaching this from a very scientific perspective to enhance and improve the nutritional outcome of the final product. And so that's a, that's a very, very different thing, but they can both be called grass fed. So grass finished is where the animal only eats grass for its entire life and grain fed or grass fed is just a little less specific. We don't, we just don't know. Yeah. And it's, if something says grass fed and not grass finished, it could be grass, fin uh, grass, um, finished as well, but it could be grain finished. So you don't know. And the regulation is just, you know, they don't have to put that. 
Exactly. So, now, the American Grass-Fed Association is a third-party certification that, that can give you a little bit more peace of mind. So if you look for the AGA certification, that's ooh. one way yeah, to have okay. another layer of kind of um, support or um, security identification or, and security. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, AGA certification. That's a really good tip. Now, yeah. I want to talk a little bit. So why are so many of us, I feel like we're nutrient deficient? Now, even the health the healthiest of healthiest people. I feel like even we are nutrient deficient and despite, you know, us eating a well-rounded diet. So why are we so depleted? Yeah. Well, A, I think a lot of us, the majority of us in America, our calories are hyper-processed foods, but for that's probably not relevant to your audience. And so there was research in the 1940s to 1990s, Dr. David Thompson, that showed that uh, the nutrient levels in our food are significant. They're lower than they've ever been at any other time in history. It's estimated we need two times the amount of fruit, like three times the amount of meat and four to five times the amount of vegetables to um, get the same level of nutrition that our grandparents would have gotten. Now, there's a few reasons for this. Some people think it's dilution, right? We're just, we've been, you know, mining the soil and growing food for so long that the nutrients don't live there. But an emerging theory, and one that I think has a lot of um, credence, is the fact that we have destroyed the microbial relationships in our soil with our conventional agricultural practices, right? Tillage, chemicals, fertilizers. These all make plants kind of either they're killing the microbial um, microbial life in the soil or they're making plants lazier. So the really beautiful process and synergy between plants and the microbial life is that plants through photosynthesis, they essentially create carbohydrates. So they're going to use about 30 to 40% of those carbohydrates and they're going to pump them through their roots, which is almost half that they make. They're not using to rebuild themselves to kind of maintain health. They're sending it down to give to the microbes. Now, what these microbes do is they scavenge the nutrients in the soil. And so they take the nutrients that would be coming from the rock and they kind of are a taxi system to bring them up into the plants. So the problem is, even if the nutrients exist in the soil, which Dr. Christine Jones will say they do, this is the lady I've heard about this from, she's down in Australia, the, the fact that the microbes don't, don't exist there anymore, it, they can't get to them. And so when we reestablish and reprioritize the life in the soil, which is a lot of what's happening with regenerative agriculture and that movement, then our plants can again become more nutritious. But as you see, no plants being very less nutritious, um, animals, have fewer nutrients, and then obviously it just goes up the chain. And then the humans who are consuming them. There's this other shocking statistic that you have to eat eight oranges today to get the vitamin A equivalent from one orange your grandparent would have eaten. So yes. And there's Dr. Ty Beal. He's done research, um, even just looking at the most common nutrient deficiencies in um, low and middle income countries. So he was just looking, I think, at six nutrients. But he found one in two women of reproductive age in the UK are nutrient deficient and one in three women in America. And so if you had looked at, you know, 30 nutrients or all the nutrients we actually require, I think it would be nearly everyone who is suffering from some level of nutrient deficiency. Yeah, I think I feel like you hit the nail on the head as far as like the soil depletion and things are just not the same. And also, sometimes I just feel like the produce, at least in a lot of the supermarkets, unless you shop at a farmer's market, a lot of the produce is picked way too early before all the vitamins and everything has time to 
actually mature and get into the produce. So that's a, another thing. Well, yeah, and the farmers, they're incentivized for weight, right? And production. We are not incentivized for the nutrient composition or nutritional value of the product. Now, there's a company, like I said, I was working with in my uh, dissertation named the Bionutrient Food Association, and they're working on creating this consumer-held nutrient that, like, that you could scan produce and see what kind of level of nutrients is within that. And I think it's that kind of focus and consumers being interested in that rather than just how much does this food weigh and how big are the plants that we can produce. That's what's going to actually make farmers and ranchers make that shift because right now they don't have to, they're not incentivized, they're not supported when they do. So, so why would they? Yeah, for sure. And so because we're so depleted of nutrients, how do you feel about supplements? Because now, you know, before we didn't really need to supplement, but at least in my opinion, I do supplement because knowing all the depletion aspects. So what's your take on, on supplements? Oh, I think it's a huge, uh, it's a great idea. Now I supplement and the reason our, our, uh, supplements are food-based is because there is research to suggest nutrients from food. They're different, right? There are nutrients, beta carotene, vitamin E, calcium that have been demonstrated, even B vitamins, um, B9 and B12, um, they can increase disease risks in certain circumstances, whereas food consistently decreases the risk. Same nutrients, just the source of those nutrients seems to matter considerably. So I would be very strategic about it if you're not going to use food. Now, what I do is I find the richest sources of natural foods, you know, organ meats, fish roe, spirulina, things like this, omelet berry, acerola cherry, like these foods that are very nutrient dense that most people have a hard time accessing. So those are kind of the mainstays. Those are the ways that I first supplement. That's my first line. Now there's probably a time and a place for other additional nutrients, but I would go on testing. I would always test and I would always work with someone because like you said, certain nutrients in certain populations, like increase the lung risk of lung cancer, for example, or increase the risk of cancer, like B9 and B12, um, increase the risk of heart disease when it comes to calcium in certain trials. So you have to be careful, but I think absolutely in today's day and age, we should all be looking to get the most nutrient dense and um, highest quality food-based nutrients on a daily basis and, and sometimes supplementing strategically and um, with help. Yeah. Well, that's why I love your supplements, the Paleo Valley supplements. I take them. I love your organ complex. I love your vitamin C, even your fish row. And that's what I love about it is because it, they all come from whole food sources. It's like freeze dried and yeah. put into a capsule and there's nothing else in the capsule, which I, I really appreciate because there's so many like silicone dioxides and all these other fillers in capsules. And I love that yours is just pure with the freeze dried whole food substance. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. That was, I mean, we feed these to ourselves. We feed these to our child and we're very like a health first company. So rather than a profit driven company, like most other companies. So thank you mm -hmm. for saying that. Um, yeah. These are all the products I just used to kind of, everyone has just been a result of, okay, what do I need to feel my best? Or what do I think my little guy could benefit from or our little guy? So, so thank mm, you. I love it. Yeah. And can you explain the difference between synthetic vitamin C and whole food vitamin C in particular? Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics. And um, so synthetic vitamin C many times, over 90% of it is derived from genetically modified corn, and then it's processed with volatile acids. And so it's going to be essentially the antioxidant outer shell 
ascorbic acid, rather than the whole food vitamin C complex, which contains dozens of nutrients, right? Tyrosinase, certain factors that seem to lower your risk of heart disease, factors P and factors J and, and copper, right? Bioflavonoids. Now, there is a time and a place for ascorbic acid, but on a daily basis, there's research to suggest one trial in smokers, for example, they gave smokers either camu camu juice, whole food vitamin C, or they gave them the equivalent dose, which was one gram of ascorbic acid. And they found after, I think it was two weeks, only the whole food vitamin C was able to reduce inflammation and oxidative stress, whereas ascorbic acid could not. And you'll see also, right, they might be absorbed to the same extent, but that doesn't mean they're impacting health to the same extent. So I think if you're getting food-based vitamin C, you're getting a plethora of health-enhancing nutrients in addition to ascorbic acid. And so you're kind of shortchanging yourself. And also some people I've heard, um, several people actually react to ascorbic acid because of maybe the GMO corn that it's derived from or, or some other agent, who knows what it is, but uh, it's also just safer for some people. Yeah, I've heard that too, for sure. Um, and I want to talk about the connection because blood sugar stability, it's so important. And how does blood sugar affect our gut and our mind and our mood? <laughs> yeah, this is another one of those big pieces for me because I had adopted a paleo diet. I was eating all whole foods, but I was still crushing like... <laughs> four apples a day, dried fruit. And so I was still on this blood sugar roller coaster. And so when you have a lot of sugar in your blood, what's going to happen is your body is going, it's kind of like a, a dangerous scenario. It has a lot of resources that it allocates to keeping your blood sugar within a very narrow range. And so you have too much sugar, carbohydrates in your blood. It's kind of like, oh, okay, this is an emergency. Insulin comes on board and we shuttle that extra into, into our cells. But at the same time, it often leads to this dramatic drop because um, what you experience as low energy, I experienced as low mood, irritability, um, just sometimes even like depression. Um, and so this impacts everything. And then if you take that outside of just the quality of your life, if you're riding that roller coaster all day, where is the other energy for <laughs> taking care of your kids? having a job, right? You're just managing rather than kind of thriving. There's also research to suggest, and I've seen this bi-directional relationship between healthy levels of blood sugar and better gut function, and then also better gut function being able to favorably impact your blood sugar, right? So the bacteria living in your gut can make it such that you have more stable blood sugar, and that comes from probably eating foods that would stabilize your blood sugar anyway. But the other things that's really important to note about blood sugar is you can't just look at a glycemic index or a glycemic load because your blood sugar footprint is very, very unique. They did a really cool Israeli study in 800 people and they hooked up these um, blood sugar monitors. They gave them the same food and they saw dramatically different results. Some people could eat bananas and have a very stable blood sugar response and some people couldn't. Some people could you know, have wild blood sugar fluctuations from a tomato. Some people would have stable blood sugar after a cookie. So you really kind of have to do your own experimentation. But again, go going back to that protein, one of the most powerful things you can do every meal, 30 grams of protein. If you eat a carbohydrate with 30 grams of protein, at least the initial spike is going to be moderated. And so you won't have that huge spike in the huge dip. And so you'll also want to test other foods in isolation, 
because there's this immunological connection too, right? Sometimes foods you're sensitive to can create higher blood sugar spice too. So um, yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces, but if you add high quality protein and you eat whole foods, that's another key, right? When we process foods, refined flour, refined sugar, they take out kind of like, it goes from like a cellular carbohydrate to what they call an acellular carbohydrate. Now our bodies weren't designed you know, evolutionarily to deal with this acellular type of carbohydrate. And it seems to lead to much more pronounced spikes in your blood sugar. And also fiber is going to help moderate. So add adequate protein, you know, eat whole foods rather than refined foods. And if you have the ability, test your blood sugar with a G, uh, like a CGM or, or even a glucose monitor. I, I used to do it and just to, to kind of be able to feel, okay, I'm feeling terrible. Where's my blood sugar? Or I'm feeling great. Where is it here? And what did I eat? And, and, and it's a really powerful practice. I think if everybody did that, they could prevent disease, increase the quality of their life, improve their gut function. That was another part of the trial though, too, that they noticed people who were able to stabilize their blood sugar did seem to have improvements uh, in their gut function too. So mm. that, that relationship for a better blood sugar equals a better gut. And when you have a better gut, you have a better mind, right? I mean, it's so true because I can speak from experience when I have an upset gut, I can't think clear. I have anxiety. I, it, it's just a wreck. I can't even focus. And so when your gut is quote unquote, just working normally as it should, then you can really function in all other areas of your life. And so blood sugar has that connection to so many different things that we may not see as a direct connection, but it does and as an indirect connection to your mind. Yeah, I think they've shown that um, high hyperglycemia, extended prolonged levels of high blood sugar have um, increased the risk of depression in women. And we know that the brain and the gut are in constant communication via the vagus nerve and that depression is sometimes rooted in inflammation. There seems to be a subset of people for whom physical inflammation can manifest in depressive symptoms. And also the gut bugs that are living in our microbiome, they produce kind of neuroactive compounds, short chain fatty acids or other toxins that can then impact uh, the function of our immune system, the function of our brain, many of our neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, they're produced there. Um, also, this is fascinating, our gut function or the population of uh, gut bugs that we have determines how we react to stress, right? So when you have and you take away gut bacteria, you can have an exaggerated response to just the life that you're living. So yeah, by kind of protecting, maintaining, and trying to create gut health um, through multiple mechanisms, you can stabilize uh, your brain, you can enhance your cognitive function, and you can literally change how you experience the world. Wow. So to simplify things, what are just three things you wish people knew about the link between diet and mental health? If you could just choose three things. Three things. This is cool. First, you got to find out what's creating inflammation. What's creating inflammation for you? Is it the food that you're eating? Is, is it uh, unaddressed stress? Uh, because if you can turn down inflammation, it seems to, for at least some people, you can reduce your risk of depression. Processed foods is another thing. Um, there was actually research to suggest women who ate more processed foods had 50% higher risk of depression. That's one. The second is that 
our brain health highly dependent on the nutrients that we get or that we don't get, right? B12, iron, magnesium, folate. These were researchers in Columbia University found these are the most depression protective nutrients. So if you are eating in a way that you are missing those nutrients, then, then it's time to make some changes. And often animal products are great sources of most of those nutrients. Folate, um, you know, comes from uh, plant-based nutrients, but, um, but also like chicken liver. So it just depends. But the most mental health protective foods, they also did this analysis, leafy greens, colorful vegetables, organ meats, giblets, heart, liver, kidney, and of course, seafood. So to get your nutrients from food, those are good, good ways to go. And the last one was what we just talked about. Stabilize your blood sugar. It not only reduces your risk of disease, but it literally changes the way you perceive the world and just your overall quality of life. And that's different. The way that you do that is different for everyone, but a great place to start is just eating 30 grams of protein at a meal, aiming for 100 grams of protein every single day and eating whole foods. Yeah, and I would say too, just to add the first meal of your day, make it make sure that it's more savory than sweet. I think that would help a lot. Absolutely. That's what I say. Break it with 30 to 50 grams of protein if you can at breakfast. I know that sounds hard for people, but yeah, if you set yourself up with a poor quality breakfast, you'll be on a blood sugar roller coaster the rest of the day. Yeah. And with just the prices now today, I mean, the economy is just crazy. A lot of people are probably wanting to switch to better quality meat, but how can people afford it with prices going just crazy right now. Do you have any tips for that? Oh my goodness, I do. And that is our other company, Wild Pastures. And what we did was we were working with a lot of farmers and ranchers because we have beef sticks and turkey sticks and soon to be chicken sticks and salmon sticks. And they were teaching us about the nuances in agriculture, right? That some farmers were using these regenerative practices to create very nutrient dense meat, but also that heals the planet. Uh, but they said, we don't know how to find the people who would value this, right? And it's really scary to go outside our current system. We don't get subsidies. When we go that route, we don't have the support we need. Um, and so we're like, okay, well, let's connect farmers and ranchers to consumers and also make it very affordable because I don't think eating high quality meat should be elitist. Everyone should be able to do it. And so we created a meat delivery service called Wild Pastures. And what it does is it literally sends meat to your house. It just shows up on your doorstep and it's 40% lower cost than other meat delivery services. And it is exclusively from American regenerative farmers. And you'll see other meat delivery services. They might have grass-fed meat, but it's probably coming from another country. Often, not always, but often. And they're not necessarily going to have pastured chicken and pastured pork, which is is actually really hard to find. And so, yeah, I, I would look out um, wild pastures. And if that's not possible for you, farmer's markets, right? Connect with your local food supply, get excited and ask them how they're using their practices and what they're doing. Um, and also, yeah, I think, and and, and if at the end of the day, you can get a really high quality grass-fed meat um, at Sprouts, but call, call the companies and you're not going to find regenerative meats, unfortunately, most of the time in a grocery store. Uh, but if it's your last resort, right, you know, yeah, for sure. Well, and I love Wild Pastures. I get the delivery. And like you said, it's like 40% less than other delivery services. And like, I don't eat pork, but to find pasture raised pork, yeah. that is hard 
for a yeah. lot of people, like you said. And then you had mentioned, because Paleo Valley, I'm sure everyone knows your bee sticks. They're amazing. My husband and I, we go crazy for it. My husband, like I will, <laughs> he'll have tons of your beef sticks. And like we went, where do we go? We went somewhere and I, I went into his truck and like out from his gloved glove compartment like falls out these meat sticks I was like what are you are you hoarding these meat sticks in here he's like oh you know you never know and like he eats them all the time um but you had mentioned you're getting salmon sticks yeah yeah oh my gosh yeah we are just kind of going for it and we're thinking like high quality animal products need to be available they need to be a staple and how do we make them easy for people to consume and meat sticks seem to be something people really like. And we make them in a very clean way. Obviously, we don't have encapsulated citric acid or gluten or MSG or just any of these other right. things, sugar that they put in most of these other products. So And it's yeah. fermented, right? It's, it's fermented. Yeah. And we do that because encapsulated citric acid, you know, we can avoid that, the use of that ingredient, but also because it's, you know an age old process that involves no crazy preservatives and potentially has gut benefits, um, just breaks down. Fermentation is a, a beautiful process that increases the availability of nutrients in the final product. I love that you guys do a way to preserve the meat in the, the, old natural way that we that we were supposed to preserve meat. Right. So thank you for doing that. Um, and I think for my listeners too, I think I have a discount. It's like 15% off if you guys want to take advantage of that. So I'll put that in today's show notes. Definitely take advantage uh, for Paleo Valley and also Wild Pastures. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You can check out. I'm not sure about the exact deal on that, I, but but yes, you can absolutely okay. check out. Uh, we'll look into it. it and I'll I'll put it in today's show notes so you guys can access Wild Pastures and Paleo Valley and check out all that they have because their products are just amazing. And what you guys are doing to help the general public, uh, mm-hmm. just coming from your own personal experience, Autumn, is just super inspiring. And knowing that it came just from a want to help other people, uh, other people suffering like you did and not wanting them to suffer anymore. Yeah. Thank you, Bethany. I'm a huge fan of your work as well. So I really appreciate what you're doing too. Well, thank you so much, Autumn. It was a pleasure and you're always welcome back. Okay. Yes, let's do it again. So much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Mike Fry. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first. If you're looking to take back your health, it's time for you to listen to the Real Foodology podcast. From the producer of Digest This comes one of Apple Podcasts' top 10 nutrition shows, hosted by integrative nutritionist and real food activist Courtney Swan. The Real Foodology podcast is on a mission to change the way we eat. Courtney interviews doctors, food experts, health professionals, and nutrition pioneers to bring you the best info so you can thrive. Somewhere along the way, we lost sight of how impactful our food choices are. But it's never too late to start on the path of better health choices. You'd be so surprised how resilient our bodies are when we start taking care of them. Yes, it's overwhelming, but that's why Courtney's here to help. 
She breaks it down for you and makes the information more accessible so that you can make more informed decisions in the grocery aisle or restaurant. Listen to the Real Foodology podcast today on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.